All right, guys. Welcome to another episode of Peace, Love, and Meat. We wanted to take a couple of minutes here before we dive into the episode to shout out and thank you to the companies that have partnered with us over the course of this thing for the last handful of months that have you know graciously offered some cool stuff for you guys and really are just friends of ours that make cool stuff and we want to share it and they help you know share what we do too and it's very symbiotic it's very organic and we just love that kind of relationship with companies it's the most natural yeah right like it's it's not a forced this this segment brought to you by and a lot of that stuff it's just like we have friends that make cool stuff we want to share it with you guys so we had a couple of minutes here we wanted to make sure we get all that info out to you before we jump into this episode yeah make sure that you're checking out bornprimitive.com check out all their collections they have the fireside collection which is great flannels jeans jackets check out the born primitive outdoor line which is what i'm wearing in this video if you can see it i have pretty much gone soft most videos you'll most videos you'll see us wearing one of the items out for sure collection. and in lieu of uh, in lieu of camouflage i really have kind of melded into the solids i'll wear camo when needed whitetail stuff but the born primitive idea was so somebody didn't have to blow money on you know something they're going to wear to a dinner or the store or the bar and then turn around and have to buy camo also i mean i've killed things wearing solids some of the best killers in the world are wearing born primitive outdoor solids when they're on their hunts. So check it out. It's super effective. It's a quality layering system from the base layer all the way to the outer shell. They've got it down. Lightweight, heavyweight gear. Cannot beat born primitive outdoor. Owned by a seal, founded by a vision, and just really, really great line of products. And if you sign up for the email, you're going to save some cash when you buy. And then uh, we also want to mention our buddy Drew Kohlhofer mm. over at Selway Archery. Uh, both of us have quivers that he has made. They do all kinds. They do plastic hood quivers. They do rawhide. The um, one that I have is a rawhide one that he also does custom laser engraving on. If you send like uh, any kind of design or image or something that you want engraved on them, they, they can do this awesome laser engraving on the rawhide. It just makes it look awesome. I have the Nomad Strength logo that he put on mine. But that one really came about more because Drew is awesome. Yeah. And not only that, I mean, he makes awesome stuff, but there's there's been, I, I make the joke all the time that there's been a handful of stepbrothers did we just become best friends moments that I've had with him over the course of the last year of getting to know him. Yep. Um, but just everything they do about running that company is for as long as they have. They're just good people. And, uh, I mean, true, like, American small business mindset, right? Like, yeah. they make awesome stuff, and there's good values behind it. And we wanted to share that because they make awesome stuff, and we love it. Yeah, and they do so much. The coal offers and, and Selway do so much for, I mean, if you look at anybody in the traditional archery spectrum with the podcast or anything, they're offering support, they're offering to share, they're offering to help. And that is just an example of who they are as people. So, like we said, we never want to try to inundate you with product. We never want to try to inundate you with, hey, we got this sponsor and this sponsor and this sponsor. I would rather tell you, hey, these are our friends. They make great stuff that we personally use and have used, and we want to share that. So, thank you, Drew. Thank you, Kurt, Mike Hearn over at Born Primitive uh, for really setting this up and making it go. Guys, check them out. They support us. You support us. Can't thank you enough. Give us yeah. some more of that acapella. I have no idea where it was. I, like, brought it from 
it was guttural. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I go through that quite a bit. And actually, so Spotify came out with all that shit yesterday, all the reviews and stuff. And <laughs> I'll tell you, it tells you where my mind has been in 2023 because, <laughs> you know, for the last four, like I, as long as I've had Spotify, I think I've had it four or five years now. But anyway, like at least the last four, definitely the last three, the number one artist has been Sturgill. It's been Towns Van Zant, Tyler Childers, you know, that kind of yep. conglomeration. Well, this year must have been the year of the trill because it was uh, Kevin Gates, <laughs> Mac Miller. I mean, it was just – and I told you a lot of my stuff was based around um, a particular training mix that I made. Right. And I never – cycles through it a lot. Well, and the thing is, like, that Sturgill Simpson album, uh, Sound and Fury, which is still – like, I actually listen to it, and I'm a lyricist. Like, I love – the way the lyrics are played and like the meaning of them. Mm. So I'm very like the music can be good and the lyrics can suck and I can hate the song. Yeah. The music can be bad and the lyrics be good and I can love the song. Yeah. But when the music's good and the lyrics are good, it's like fire. So sound and fury was 41 minutes long and I would hit start and I would begin my workout. And by the time fastest horse in town came on at the end, you know, it's like, okay, that's my workout. Like I was done. It was 41 mm -hmm. minutes. So I made a 45 minute workout kind of playlist mm -hmm. um my training has been a little bit more you know when i was training with terrence it was more of that like i'll train in silence i'll train to instrumentals i'll train to that mm -hmm. well i was a little more thugged out this year because of jujitsu <laughs> and then really like you can see my body's changed a lot so i wasn't trying to just train i was trying to like get somewhere with it so yeah. i need a little bit more of that like gnarl that kind of yeah you know raise your jaw and just get after yeah. it kind of thing. So a lot of rap stuff and whatever, but the number one song that I uh, had on Spotify was actually the song I played on here a while ago. It's Oakwood by uh, Angus and Julia right. Stone. And yeah. that's just one, that song amongst like rainbow kitten surprise. I told you, we talked about it a little bit. Yes. When I yeah. got on those guys, they bounced up on every single, every, every single playlist ever. And Angus and Julia, they they came up on a lot of my playlists too. But it was like when that song would come on, I would like start it over and listen to it again. So, you know, I can't remember how many times it said I listened to it, but it was it was roughly like twice a day. You know, that song That's would awesome. come on. Um, yeah. And it's not even like, it's not even a song that you would associate like, oh, that's probably Brandon's hit for the year. But right. there's a lot of, there's like a lot of layers into that song is when I listen to it, where I listen to it. And I get that way on songs. Like sometimes a song just kind of grips you for a while. And uh, that one just happened to be for a year for whatever reason. But um, it's pretty funny when I was looking at mine, the like I could tell like why the songs were in the top five where they were, because the number one song was the song that I just put on repeat when, when I'm working. Yeah, when yeah I'm just yeah. kind of doing my own stuff and I just need something to happen in the background. And it was one of the songs from it was Howard Shore, one of the Lord of the Rings. from yep, the first. Yep. Those like are amazing. I just needed that. They're great. It's yeah. the best best soundtrack ever. So I just like find one that's kind of in the mellowy yeah. throughout the, throughout the whole thing because some of them go way up and get kind mm -hmm. of intense, you know. So I just wanted like one of the shirey kind of ones where I just could just kind of loop it. Yeah. So that was number one because it was just on a loop so much when I would work, and then the second one was one I sent you a while ago, and it was uh it's actually a hymn that uh it, it, when we talked about it we had started talking about the movie um lawless yeah yeah because yep. of that scene yeah. and it was it was a hymn that's like just all acapella with a yep. whole voice choir and it's oh awesome. in the I church in the church yes when he's yes. when she's washing his feet yes dude 
I got goosebumps just thinking about that because yeah, I have had, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I've had very, yeah. very literal connections throughout church and black churches in my life where I've been there. And when it's that acapella, especially in the black churches, when they start coming with it and it just, you feel like the roof's going to blow off. And that's yeah. the way that, that scene was set up too. Yeah. That was, I, that good. movie is so good. Like I love that movie so much. You know, I was one of my favorites. I'll tell you what, man, Shia LaBeouf has become like, he's a guy that I used to kind of mock and joke about like, Oh yeah, it's the booth. It's the Shia LaBeouf yep. movie. You got to see, you know, jokingly, but dude is like, I don't, I don't think he's right. I don't think he's like, well necessarily like well adjusted. Yeah. I'll say, I don't think he's that. I think the dude's got a lot of demons. I think the fact he was a millionaire child star, you know, you can look at the track record of what happens to those the best kids. Disney show they ever did. Yeah. Right. Was even Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then he was in holes and all yeah. that stuff. So like, did you watch the movie that when he was his dad? Yeah, dude. Yeah. And it was basically the story of him, yeah. but he was his dad in this, in the movie. Oof. Yeah. Well, did you hear what happened after that? Like his dad reached out to him and like, I think their relationship rekindled really to a positive light because of yeah. that movie. And somebody right. asked him about it. Like, you were pretty critical of your dad in this movie. He was like, yeah, but it saved me and my dad's relationship. You know, like yeah. he told me some of the things that were from his perspective, you know, and I think that's a huge thing not to get off track of what we were talking about and make it heavy. But I think that's a huge thing for any man is when he gets to an age where I don't want to say he can, he can correct his father, but he can bring things to his father from an adult perspective and be like, why did this happen? Mm -hmm. And then when the father gives back, you've got enough life experience now where you're like, okay, I get it. Cause that's kind right. of the story with me and my dad. Like my dad, you know, I, I've, I've talked heavily about how our relationship has been strained over the, over the course of my life. Those are all my choices. Like the things that I did, the rebellion that I had, all of those things were my choices. Looking back, you know, my dad was at basketball games when I was a kid. He coached some. He coached some baseball. Didn't really play baseball, but he helped and that kind of thing. So, man, you can you can really repaint your memory from mm. from one perspective. So, yeah. having some of those conversations, like I had a conversation with my dad not very long ago, um, just about some transitions in life and about like things that he had done. And I never ever ever heard my dad said he made mistakes. You know, because my dad, I think like so many men, you make the mistake and you fix it and then it's no longer a mistake. Right. But right. but he was very honest with me. Like, if I was your age, I would do this. If I was in your shoes, I would do this. And man, it's like, it's just a different, it's a different feeling now. It's not like him telling me, go to your room and there's no option. It's like, here's what I would do. And I have all the options left. I can still do whatever I want, but that information is coming from a place that, okay, when he was gone all the time, I live that now. I understand that. When he was home yeah. late, I live that now. I understand it. So right. the things that were like riffs in the past, I have complete understanding for now. Mm. You know, so it's, I think that's, yeah. a, I think that's a cool place. And like to get back to him, uh, LaBeouf is like, I don't know how hard it was. And maybe he was mad when he wrote the whole thing and was like, I'm going to, this is my get back because I've had those moments with my dad. Like, I'm going to show you this is my get back. And, you know, like it wasn't a yeah. give back to him. Like he was proud right. of whatever I did, you know? So right. it's a, it's an interesting concept there, but in, in the terms of music, um, 
yeah, like those instrumentals, man, like if like Promontory from Last of the Mohicans, that was yeah. that was the music I walked out to some. Yeah, but that man. was that was the music that was always in my headphones on meet day prior to going up. Yeah. And um yeah. I think I think there's something to be said when a instrumental can move you like that. Like For sure. that's not that's not I don't know what the fuck this person's thinking when they write it because there's no words attached to it. Yeah. But the vibrations and the winds and the brass and mm-hmm. the you know and the woods, like mm-hmm. it's pretty like music is pretty spectacular when it's that. You know, and, and I notice in that scenario, like when it's instrumental based and maybe there's something to this because I, you know, I, maybe it was about a year or so ago when I had on, uh, Corey Bell mm-hmm. and the whole conversation was talking about, uh, frequencies. Yeah. Right. And how they affect physiologically, like how different frequencies affect us and what mm-hmm. our body does. And I think there's something where, and he could probably tell me about, tell us about this, but in the classical music setting where those frequencies lie because of the instruments and the, and where those music, that music is generally played in classical music exists at a certain frequency range where it probably elicits more of a certain type of effect from people because of the frequency, not necessarily because of like, like it's probably, it, it can probably be that scientific of a like a mathematical thing like we know that it does this because of this well but here's the thing kind of a thing so to to go further on that um and again don't take this as like i'm not translating fact i'm translating something that i saw that i did a little googling on and it seems to be accurate but there was a guy that um he noticed i want to tell the story right so the birds start singing at a certain time before sunrise. Right. What that does is that opens the pores in plants to receive the dew and to accept mm. sunlight. That frequency vibrates or yeah. resonates with the plants at a level that they open up. So this farmer was a big fan of classical music and he was an ornithologist or, or something like that. He had an understanding of birds. Okay. Yeah. He matched music that matched the frequency of the songbirds and played it to his corn had loudspeakers played on his corn. He grew world record tall corn year after year after year after year because of that frequency that keeps the, the plant essentially receptive to sunlight and receptive to extra moisture and whatnot um, just by a frequency. And if, if you remember those sand, when you put the sand on those, radio plates and they put a frequency under yeah, it yeah, and yeah. it makes very design, very specific intricate. geometric shapes. Yeah. That kind of stuff right there. When you talk about a connected universe and like 450 Hertz makes the same shape in Japan as it does in Berlin, as it does in yeah. South America, as it does here. Yeah. Like, and you start to look at the, const- the construction of all these things. Everything is geometric. Everything is a woven pattern repeated mm-hmm. over and over and over like that kind of stuff translated to an energy because I actually heard this about like some of the thought stuff, the cochlear part of the ear vibrates Mm -hmm. at a frequency creating an energy that stimulates brain thought. So if you don't think that music impacts people at a level of like, maybe, maybe the song didn't inspire you. It was just the frequency that allowed you to be inspired, you know, like, Exactly. That's what's getting. That's what gets really weird, and I think that's where Oakwood comes in. That song, 
because it's not a song that I even knew the damn words to for three months right. of it, but it was just like, it, it's just got the, it's got a beat that resonates. It's got a tone that resonates and I don't know why, but that song clicks. And there's another one by a guy named Harmar superstar called prisoner. And this dude's the weirdest look. He's like a John Lovitz with long hair. And he sings <laughs> these like 70s style disco bass jams. Okay. He's awesome. Like he's awesome. I would never pick this guy's record in a record store. I would never assume that I would like any of his music, but he's got one or two songs that like, I can't help it, but I start moving, you know, yeah. like that kind of thing. Yeah. So that's pretty the cool. Frequency, the frequency thing I was, uh, is cool too, because when you think about the, in the analogy that Corey had made to me back on the podcast, and we've talked about a couple of times since was back when, you know, when armies in, basically all throughout history were marching up on something like what was always at the front. Yeah. It was always drums, like big, deep drums or the one video that I, I think I reposted. Was it the most terrifying horn in the world? Oh my Did you gosh. see that? And that the big Celtic one that's like, Oh, and the dude just, and he's like a, like an EDM festival yeah, yeah. and he's in the crowd with it. And it's like six feet above his head, yeah. but it's an old Celtic. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a Celtic horn and I can't remember what it's called. Um, but it looks like the like a like the a death dragon knoll. head, <laughs> yeah, like a, yeah, right. It looks it's like, like a, a dragon monster. head at the top, yeah, yes, like a sea monster, yeah. And he literally just lets out, and and the caption was like, "This is what uh, like the Vikings or the Germanic people were hearing yeah. when they when they came over to you know fight the barbarians yeah. in like the, the, the Anglo's, oh right? yeah." And like, can you imagine the what you would hear if that was just coming up over a hill and you can't see anything yet? And all you hear is just that thunderous, like low tone vibrate, like the whole ground probably. You get four or five of those. It's probably not just one. Exactly. <laughs> just, you know, you're going to die. Like, it's just, you're, you're like, I don't know what that is, but it's not good. What's ever on the other end of it, man. I'll be honest. I, uh, I was at a, at a marathon event and it was, an, it was not a, a running marathon. It was kind of like a cause deal. And these people I don't remember how many people it was. It was like two or 3000 people involved and they're running. And when they came close, like not running, like, like a jog, everybody kind of finished in a tight pack. Sure. But when they were coming, it was like, go, 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 go. And it's like, what is that? I can't see anything. And then they come around the corner <laughs> yeah. and it's like, Oh, imagine if that was 30,000, yeah. you know, and like heavy, and half of them were on horses. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but, or like even in, um, uh, when you think about Sparta and the, the hot gates and you think about the estimates were that 300 took on a million, can you imagine a million soldiers walking up? But the thing about that, that, you know, not to get all historical on this, but the cool thing about that, uh, that battle in particular, you can't fit a million people wide on a narrow pass. Yep. And that's what, that was the defense. Like that was the point. Yeah. That was, that was why they went there. It's just interesting to me when you look at these warriors from the past. Did you know that Leonidas was like 60 when that happened? Yeah, he's old. Yeah, he's like 60 or 61 and fucking mm -hmm. out there slaughtering heads, you know? Yeah. Um, that, that That's another episode. We could go down that and what men are searching for today. Like, I think there's a mm -hmm. lot to be talked about on that topic. Like, just to kind of let you mentally start thinking on it and we'll move on. But mm. uh, there's a great line in the Fight Club, you know, in Fight Club where they talk about like um, – we have no great war our great war yeah. you know, that. And it's like our great depression. The Gen X line. Yeah. And our great depression is our yeah. lives. 
Um, yeah. And I think that is a very real thing about the human, you know, the human experience is that if you don't have struggle, you create it. And if you don't have struggle sitting on the couch, where's it going to be? It's going to be between your ears. So it's like that I think is one of the biggest plagues on American men right now is we have so much ease, but we're still not maybe everyone, but like guys, like I'll say for myself and I assume you are wired for the challenge, Mm -hmm. not necessarily that we're going to overcome it, but like, sure. I am, I am a terrible example of myself when I don't have things to, to work for or right. towards totally, you know, so that's another episode, but to kind of three and four were tiger cub. Yeah. List. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to circle back to rap. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, so that was because it was a new band this year. Right. So I just played the crap out of them. And then five on my top songs was uh, just a piano instrumental, which ended up being like the one song that my one-year-old daughter like falls asleep to the most. So like that one is just, always on loop when I'm trying to get her to sleep. Yeah. So it was like, it was funny. You can like, look at the rap. I'm like, Oh, that's work. That's this. That was well, that's I the way my guys. months were. That's yeah. The, Cause it showed totally. you, the, it showed you the month spectrum and you can tell like, dude, I am so musically influenced in my mood. I have to be, I mean, I, I have to be really, really careful with music because I can put you on. You were in the top five, 0.5% of all listeners of anything. Me. On Spotify. Yeah. You. Yeah, yes. Yeah. You had over a hundred. I'm telling everybody this because he sent me the graphic. He had over a hundred thousand minutes listened yep. on Spotify this year. Yep. Hold on. I'll see if I can find it real quick. There's that song. But I listened to 12,000 songs. And then uh, let's see. I listened to 5,090 artists this year. It's unbelievable. Uh, this was a big one. I couldn't get enough of the Lizzo remix by Kevin Gates. Have you heard that one? There you go. Have you heard that one? <laughs> yes. <laughs> See, I think I only had like 38,000 yeah. listen for music, but I had 26 in podcasts. Yeah. So I, I made up for it a little bit with that. But Hold on. Let's see. So- if you told anyone that you're a great listener, what's this bullshit? I spent 25,000 minutes with podcasts and 110,000 minutes with music. Good Lord. All, well, I won't say all in my truck, but like, I mean, that's most of it. You're most of it's in my truck and most of it is in the gym. Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I I figured it up the other day. I literally, um, you know, 200 miles a day is not. I was just going to say, you don't get 450,000 miles on a vehicle by a 10 minute commute twice a day. Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> it's about to hit 440. It's three, it's 439, 800 right now. So it's like, so awesome. Yeah. So awesome. Oh, here we go. I'll, I'll get a picture of this. So there it is. 100,000, 110,000, 110,525 minutes. Yep. That's 78 days. Is that what it says? Yeah, seventy-eight days, and then on seventy-eight t- on, days of just Spotify listening. <laughs> and on October eighth, I listened to nine hundred and twenty-four minutes. So that's fifteen hours. Where were you driving on October eighth? Had to be had to be the go- the trip where I was going to South Carolina to Missouri. Had to be no, that was that was more that was just a couple uh, weeks ago. Oh, Oklahoma, because it Oklahoma. was it was on the entire time. So it was like it's yep, literally fifteen hours. Yep. <laughs> from there to there and that was right. it so but yeah man like mm-hmm. if that doesn't tell you that i'm a musical like i, I know that you are too like 
mm-hmm. without music, I I don't know where I'd be. You know, like yeah, it's just one of those things that it can make me happy, it can make me very sad, it can make me mad, mm-hmm. it can do all the in between. But my listening nature very much indicates where I'm at in my life. You know what I mean? Right. So I think it's good that we're bumping some rap. That means things are on the up and up. I'm in a good, I'm in a good space. We're we're in grind mode right now. If it's Towns Van Zant for more than two or three days, um, check on me. You know what I mean? Like just, that's one of my, that's one of my favorite. I think it was last year when, uh, I think Casey posted it and it was like one of the memes people made about the rap thing. And it was like, you spent a hundred, like you spent, 99% 99% of your mute time listening to sad coal miner music or something. Yeah. Like yeah, that. yeah. That's it. But for anybody that doesn't know towns is my favorite artist. Um, that was my guess when you asked me if what, yeah. I figured it was him or Sturgill. Yeah. Well, those are those, if I was to pick two guys that I had to like listen to on repeat, it would be mm-hmm. those guys like forever. If I had no other options, mm-hmm. it'd be Sturgill and, and towns towns, more of a poet laureate kind of, you know, just a yeah. just a wordsmith of sorts. Um, my uh, Sturgill's just cool as fuck. My my artists, I had Tiger Cub was the number one artist this year. I dig them a lot. I rem- I they're, appreciate you sending awesome. them. Awesome, yeah, they're good. I like them a lot. There was Tiger Cub and then Howard Shore because all the Lord of the Rings, yeah, stuff. yeah. And then it was, I think it was Incubus, and then. Van Halen was in there this year. Yep. They usually are like a cyclical thing. Yeah. Every yeah. Other year or something they pop through it. I can't remember what the other one was, but it was like, I look at it and I'm like, yeah, that. Okay. Yep. Well, it's even weird. <laughs> I remember, I remember all the phases for all of these looking through the year. <laughs> yeah. Well, like last year, or the year before, I think it was 21 sound and fury one through five was my one through five, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I listened to that album. It was something insane. It was like 20, I don't know. It was like almost 30,000 minutes. That I listen, and you to. don't listen to it without going all the way through. No, I will not. Right? That is like, that is an album. Like if it comes on a playlist or something, like yeah, whatever. But like I intentionally start that with. If you seek it out, you're at starting at the beginning. Yeah, and, and for 41 minutes, I don't want yeah. my phone to go off. I don't want anyone to text me, call me. Like yeah, it's almost like a spiritual experience. But I challenge you today to listen to that album because with the with the state of the world and all the shit that's going on and like stuff that we've talked about as far as like being inside an industry, yeah. dude, that song is just such an F you to an industry. And Sergio's whole career has been an F you to the industry basically. But that album, like fastest horse in town is about them taking the fastest horse that used to be and putting yeah. him down. Cause he, he's not doing what they want anymore, you know? Yep. And yep. dude, it's like that album is a manifesto, you know? It, yep. It's it's a it's a public works call to action. I think there's a movie that I was actually just talking to the kid that I was training this morning. Um, just came out. It's called The Creator, mm-hmm. and it's in theaters right now. Sturgill's in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did he's you like, know this? He's like a he's like a wingding kind of crazy ass I dude had, in it, right? I, I mean, I had heard of it, but I'd never seen a trailer for it. But it's kind of like a sci fi kind of. But movie, that's where I that think. the the um all the gold in California. That's where yeah, his rem- in, That's where the remake right, came from. Yeah, right. And it's in theaters now because um, it just came out like either in the last couple of weeks or something like that. But I didn't know it until I was looking through because I just and that main guy is Denzel's kid is the is the main actor in it is Denzel's kid. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Sturgill's got a side part. Yeah, he's, oh, he's pretty cool. He's doing a lot more him. acting. He's got some pretty cool roles. He's got one as a wasn't he in wasn't he in the Leo movie? The which one? 
the one that just came out yeah, yeah, yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in that too, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah. That's what I thought. But this song is so I good, man. Somebody else's name <laughs> is his. Uh, That's Brother Marshall in the Choir of Fire. Is his voice all healed up now? From didn't he have like a big throat surgery? Yeah, thing? I think I think that was part of it. Um, and do you know that he actually said he was only ever going to do five Sturgill Simpson albums as letters to his wife and kids? Like really? all of his, well, like all of Tarantino style. Well, yeah. And I mean like all of his albums, if you listen to them, the first one, you know, the, the woven patch cloth album, yep. yep, that's the story of his childhood. And then it evolves into like the wild that's outlaw cool. kind of days. And then it's the one with Osara and like yep. telling his kids how to live their life. And then it goes yep. on, you know, it's just like, he's doing five that's albums cool. and that's it. And then he'll, I'm and sure that's what Tarantino said he was doing, right? It was like, it was, he's doing nine movies or something like yeah. that. And then he's done. But I think, you know, in the same in the same effect of Tarantino, just like Sturgill, guys like that, you can't. I, I don't believe that you can have that thing inside of you and stop. You know, right. like I think Sturgill will be one of those guys. He'll he'll be like a Marty Stewart or something in Nashville one yeah. day. You like you can't. Well, I mean, I can name Sturgill songs, but like I can't name five Marty Stewart songs. But I know right. fucking Marty Stewart, like Little right. Jimmy Dickens. You know, like right. the, that group of guys. They're iconic, iconic Nashville. And actually what I love about Marty Stewart the other day, he said the most outlaw thing any of these young men can do that want to be outlaws in Nashville is play a damn country song. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. It's like, it's, uh, hold on. What's that, up, what's, that up, what's that up there? Where are you pointing? That little Arrow? Yeah. Oh, we're not going to talk, we're not going to talk about it, but we're going to, I'm going to show you. That's a bloody arrow for those of you who are not looking at this right now. And that's from this week. Oh, it's all dried blood. <laughs> Did you see the, uh, it was one of those Kevin James memes that's been going around so much. One where he's like got his hands, his, hands in his pockets. <laughs> and it was, and it said, uh, when your girlfriend tells you she likes country music. And so it shows him with his hand, and he's wearing a flannel shirt and he's got face tattoos and like messy hair. <laughs> Dude, if you'd have told me Jelly Roll would have been artist of the year, like listen, I've I've partied with I I I've partied with Jelly Roll. Okay, I've partied with him and my buddy Tulane James. Uh, he's a fiddle player for Yellow Wolf and Struggle Jennings and those guys. So I got to meet them down at uh, Cotton Eye Joe's in uh, Knoxville and hung out with them and yeah. partied a little bit. Um, and by partied, I mean it was it was not rock star party. It was like we right. sat around and uh, actually hold on, I'll show you something else. just rummaging right now grabbing everything we'll tell the story of the deer maybe i shouldn't say deer we'll tell the story of the hunt at a later uh, time. so this is from that night this is uh yellow wolf's whiskey creek mm. water mm. and uh mm-hmm. they all signed it right oh there. that's pretty cool yeah so i got some pictures with them that's awesome when they signed it but yeah man it's- i didn't think there was any way that zach bryan was not going to win that this year you know this is one of those um Metallica, who was the band? Um, Jethro Tull. Jethro Tull. You know, yeah. it's one of those deals. Like, yeah, public opinion is Zach Bryan. The industry doesn't like Zach Bryan. You know, yeah. 
I mean, that's just yep. the, that's just the truth of it. Like he's yep. he's caused them enough ticket sale issues and all that kind of thing. Like he has been up Ticketmaster's yep. ass for about two years since the beginning. Well, and good for him. And like we live in it, and this is where I'll say technology is a beautiful thing because we now live in a day and age where an artist can do that. Like right. another guy that I got into after he passed away, um, more so from an artistic spectrum than his music was Lil Peep. He's got an yep. amazing, amazing documentary about his life. And it's sad as hell. Like it's so freaking sad. But when you talk, when you see his mom and you see his grandfather, like he was, he idolized his grandfather and some of the stuff that went down, but he was a SoundCloud dude. Like he was making yeah. huge, huge level money on his own, just dropping yeah. beats in his basement, doing songs yep. and stuff. And that's what I think. Like I used to think um, like all the little guys, like little pump, little peep, little whoever, right. all those dudes were just, Xanax dropping face tatted asshole young kids, you know, but when you, yep. when you, when I watched that documentary and I, the only reason I watched it at all was because I was on an airplane and it was like 27 Disney movies and a little peep documentary. So it was like <laughs> enough about pedophiles. So I'll just watch the little peep thing. <laughs> and uh, so it, it was really, really, really good. And it encouraged me to listen to some of his music and like, you're not going to leave there a better person listening to his music, but there's one song that I listen to a lot. It's called star shopping. It's a really, really just a haunting beat and some of the words. And then he died not very long after. So I don't know, man. Um, I don't know where that came from, but nevertheless, the, the fact that Zach Bryan, man, when I first heard of him, I was very, very much like, on the Tyler Childers train, you know, and I'm not right. talking like fan. I'm talking, I'm at shows, I'm backstage, yeah. I'm hanging with those guys. And I'm not saying that almost literally on the train. Yeah. Like going with him. Yeah. Like I'm, the, I'm pumping <laughs> the gas and it's like, see you guys down the road. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, I was in, I was in the room, but I wasn't in the club kind of thing. Right. Um, but anyway, I didn't think like, I thought Zach Bryan was a guy that was trying to be the next Tyler, Tyler Childers. Yeah. Maybe he was. But somewhere along the way, that dude got his own set of blue jeans and figured it out because that guy yep. is crushing it. And and like, yep. I respect what Tyler did a lot, and I don't think a lot of people do because it's an exodus from what he wrote. But man, he signed generational wealth money with a record company, which I you know I have my own personal feelings about that. Like I can I think he could have done it without, but I understand why he did. Right. But he, he's got to give them two or three albums that they want, and then he's free for life. You know, yeah. It's like you've got to make our investment back, and then you can be whatever you want. And I think yep. that's my opinion. I don't know. I haven't had a conversation with him about it, but I do think at some level, this is how you play the country music game. You do what they want within the the spectrum of what you want to do, or vice versa. However, that works. You want to do this, they'll right. allow you to do this much of it. And right. then after that, it's like, okay, you can go sell out to 600 seat bars if you want, you know, but yeah, I don't know, man. Tyler's changed a lot and I don't, I don't think it's for the bad. Like he's sobered up. He's got a family now. Like, yeah. What's what, like, what are you hating on the guy? Cause he didn't write songs you like anymore. You know, it's, yeah. it's kind of weird, but I do that too. It reminds me of a, did you listen to Andre 
Oh, the three thousand new album. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. Did you listen to it when he was talking about oh, it? Yeah. Did you see the video of him talking? Just like about I was just walking around. And playing. he goes, "What am I gonna?" He's like, "What am I gonna rap about now? Like I can't do a rap album anymore." He's like, "I'm almost fifty years old." He said yeah. something. He's like, "We want me to go rap about getting a colonoscopy and my <laughs> eyes going bad." Like, <laughs> there's enough dudes out there that are still trying, <laughs> still doing it. Eminem's freaking like fifty one or something. All right, let's talk about him for a minute. So obviously, like in the late nineties, early two thousands, that dude was it. Right. And I think he got to a point where it was, you know, he was kind of getting the reputation. He was a good rapper, but it was getting the reputation that it was redundant. And like, if he wasn't talking shit, he couldn't rap. And then he went onto the stage of like trying to be like the, the very best lyricist rapper. Yeah. And some of it was just, hot garbage bad it's really bad, bad. like those middle few albums in like kamikaze and those like there was always one song that would sell the album and then the rest were just horseshit you know i don't think mm-hmm. he evolved as a musician really much at all which is funny because he has everyone think, that wanted to help like you got dre making beats you got timberland making beats like these last couple <clears throat> these last couple of albums it seems when he was slim shady like people weren't considering him to be one of the greatest rappers ever. Right. When he was in that time period, even though that's the time period that everybody now says was his best music, but all the stuff that comes with him being like the greatest ever is because of these last couple. Yeah. Which I think is interesting. Like these, like uh, whatever the last, there's, there's another one that he did, but the last two, I think albums where everybody's like, okay, this dude is like the greatest ever, whether or not he is whatever. But it's just interesting that, most of the ones that people still listen to and can like their favorite stuff of his was the slim shady days. Oh yeah. You know what I mean, well, like, so here's a question for you. <laughs> it's, it's a hypothetical of sorts, but if you could take all of your artists that you fell in love with and you fell in love with their writing, their songs, their music, when they were all on drugs, all on booze mm. for your enjoyment, would you wish that they could return to the wildlife party days for your own? Like, I don't even know how I'm trying to phrase the question. But Somebody who's like sober now. Well, like Lane, like Lane Staley. When he got sober, Allison Chains dead now. But basically fell apart, right? <laughs> yeah. But when he got back on the drugs, he started writing good songs again. And I remember him saying that. He was like, heroin's my only loyal friend when I write a song. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I can't write it, what's in here. Hmm. unless the drugs help me find it, you know? Right. And that's like, that's tragic because he died. But you take someone like- Most Ty- of them do. Well, they do. Dude, if you're if you're messing with heroin, like, I don't know. That's a whole other podcast. But, yep. you know, you take somebody like Tyler. Like, I have seen it in the Tyler Childers fan clubs where they're like, I wish he'd get back on booze and, and weed. You know, and it's like, man, I hear you. I hear you because you love the music that-, that his pain generated. Yeah, they wish that selfishly. Yeah. But I don't know, man. Like in my life, the struggles I've had with drugs and the the honest admission of like I am an addictive personality. And yeah. I have to I have to channel my addiction towards good or it becomes very self destructive. And, you know, like when I was going through all my surgeries, I was never a guy that was like hoarding pills and taking, you know, 10 pills a day. 
Right. It was like I would go eight or nine days without any, and then I would take two handfuls of like three or four pills in the morning and three or four pills at night. That was yeah. that was my cycle to it would get so bad, the pain and like the the depression would get so bad I could not get away from it. Yeah. But that was some of my best writing days. That was some of my yeah. best coaching days. Because when I think when a person is in pain, their brain is consciously trying to constantly get them out of that pain. And I think that a lot of times that gives you creativity to get yourself right. going. But then you go right back to the drug, you know, because, well, that was a high of its own. Like that yeah. success was a high of its own, but I don't feel that high anymore. And when you're a person who's got an addictive personality, you always chase that high. You always chase that good right. feeling. And what I have had to combat within myself, every day is not a party. You know, every, every attempt is not success. So do you turn your life into a party where it's always fun and you make very minimal progress? Or do you understand that like, I am supposed to struggle at this, but when I do succeed, the high will sur surpass any drug or alcohol possible. That's right. the kind of things I have to work towards for myself so that all the other pulls or vices or whatever um, stay at bay is I need right. very, very challenging things with high reward or it's always going to be like, ah, man, you don't need to do that. Just enjoy yourself. Have some beers, you know, and it's right. not like I'm sitting here getting smashed drunk, but five beers tonight and four beers tomorrow night is not better than no beers. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's always kind of keeping tabs on myself, but I wonder from an artist's perspective, if they feel that, like if a guy that gets clean, his life is better. He's got money in the bank. He's got stability. It's like, man, mm -hmm. one more hit and I'd be writing a damn good song. You know, I'm sure there's more than one example, but the example of the opposite of that being true. And he still ended up dying tragically, but had nothing to do with drugs was Stevie Ray. Oh yeah. Because the handful of years right after he got clean were arguably the best he ever was. Yeah. Like from new music and performing. And then he ended up dying in a helicopter crash. So yeah. it wasn't even because of that. But like, I think there probably are a couple. So, but like, as far as wishing it upon them to return, like, I, I have a hard time wishing that. Upon yeah. Them. I mean, but there, it's interesting because there's uh there's a similar, even not with drugs in, in I'm drawing on two specific examples but in in like comedy and acting jonah hill has talked about he was scared to lose weight yeah. because him being the big funny guy like he thought that was like what he had identity wise like he thought if i lose weight people aren't gonna think i'm funny yeah. anymore you know and, and i think it was the same thing a little bit with farley yeah Oh, uh, dude, where the funniest dudes are broken. The weight loss the yeah. funniest dudes are broken yeah. i mean like robin williams you know like he, he bothers me. His death haunts me a lot because yeah, he was the happiest dude. He had all the energy in the world. He had, you know, yeah. but I, the funniest people I've ever met in my life have been the saddest. You know yeah. what I mean? Because yeah, their, their high is making you laugh. Right. So they have to be funny all the time. Right. But like, uh, I don't know, man, it's a, it's a weird because it's like you don't wish, for, like in Jonah Hill's case, like you don't want him to be 400 pounds because of how unhealthy right. that is for him. 
but like he's thinking i can't be you know and he's obviously way past that now because he's gone through this for 15 years but like back when i remember him talking about it he was literally thinking like if i lose weight and get healthy people won't think i'm well i heard a lady talking about it on a on a it wasn't a ted talk but it was like in a ted forum i don't know what that what that is i've never i've never watched one full ted talk in my life so I haven't yeah. either. I don't know if I've even ever started. Yeah, I haven't. One, I haven't. I haven't intentionally started a TED talk, and that's that's <laughs> right. a little bit of my oppositional defiance. Like, I am just going to oppose this because everybody says it's the thing. Oh, everybody watches these. I guess. Yeah, I'm not. that's that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> but anyhow, um, this lady was talking about her weight loss, and she was classified as a plus size model. You know, and she was like, right. "I've got thick hips. I'm I'm overweight, but like." I try to carry myself in a way that feels sexy. I, I hear from people that I am sexy. So she was like, if I lose 40 pounds, I'm loose skin, you know? So it's like that, that big is beautiful movement at whatever degree. It is the opposite of the fear of big is beautiful because I'm, I've been this way my whole life. What yeah. do I look like on the other side of this fence? And what are the repercussions right. of my weight loss? You know? And it was interesting right. Cause you know, I don't think a guy ever thinks about that. Like, Oh, I'm going to have this look or that look. It's like, I just going to lose weight and feel better and look better. But I think women, yeah, it's like women have such a cutthroat market of what is considered beauty and high beauty that I think it would be a challenge for a woman who has kind of like found her groove as a, as a bigger woman will say, and then tries to lose weight because it comes with a whole mix of things that, everyone says isn't beautiful, you know? So right. it's a challenge, but I mean, there was a, there was a, a meme or a video that I had seen recently mm-hmm. and it said, uh, it showed a picture of Margot Robbie and the Barbie movie yeah. and it shows her. And then it shows a, just a regular gal. And it says something like, look at these unrealistic beauty expectations on women or something like that. And then the next one, it's like, this is where women and it says Barbie is unrealistic, whatever. And then it says, and then here's men. And it shows the cartoon of he man. And like the guy's reaction, he's like, man, I need to go to the gym and buy a Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) 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 Well, it's funny too, though, but like I've talked about it some, uh, I think I talked about with Logan on a podcast once, but when you really sit down and think about it, when you and I were kids, more so me, a little bit you, but you had Rocky, you had Rambo, you had all the Schwarzenegger yeah. movies, you had Jean-Claude Van Damme, yeah. you had very iconic, strong male protector types. And now all our heroes are actually superheroes. There's no, right. maybe John Wick, but that's so like far-fetched fanciful, you know, like it's, yeah. it's not even real none of the shit in Rambo or Rocky or predator or any of that stuff was real either. But for some reason it resonated more real yeah. then. And I don't yeah. know if it's because I was a kid and I had an imagination or what, but it's like, I think that's a very serious problem for the, for the youth of America is they don't have strong men figures in television or movie. I also think the average casual fan cannot follow sports like they used to. You know, if I watch game yeah. one of a season, that same roster is probably going to be there for basketball. We'll say at game 65, if I watch a player play baseball in game one, he might be there to, at, at game one thirty, and he might be there for 10 years when I'm a kid, free agency, right. um, the open market on sponsorships. Like, did you see the guy from, uh, I can't remember which coach it was, but he literally said to get a top ranked quarterback in division one football, 
the school needs to be prepared to pay one and a half to two million dollars to that player. Yeah, you know that, and that's why that that's why Caleb Williams stuck around another year, dude. He shouldn't. He should because have he never was, run his make, mouth. He should. He I, there's a lot of stuff he shouldn't have done. Yeah, but he he stuck around another year because he was going to make more at USC than he would have on a rookie mm-hmm. deal. I don't fault him for like, and there's several. I don't, there's several of those. I don't fault him for that. What I fault him for is saying, yeah. I'm not going to a team unless they give me part ownership. I'm the best quarterback that's ever played college football. Like, and then lose four games yeah, or something like that, you know, and just play. But you know, yeah. like, anyways, I don't know. That's that's neither here nor there. But I think it's a real problem that we don't have, like. LeBron James is such a polarizing figure for sports fans. People hated Jordan, but they respected him. Like as a basketball fan, they hated him. They hated him like the way people hate Tom Brady. Yeah. They hated him because he yeah. beat him every single yeah. time. Like people don't hate Tom Brady because he says stuff they they don't agree right. with. Yeah. Like they hated Tom because he won all the time. Yeah. <laughs> they were sick of it for twenty years. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. But like, that's something that I see. You know, my son's 16. He doesn't have those iconic heroes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a real – it's a subtle condition that and, we need to – And even in like with baseball, baseball's become so much more regional. Yeah. Like we talk about – me and you talk yeah, about yeah. baseball a lot. But, I mean, baseball used to be – I mean, we called it obviously the national pastime. It was American as apple pie. From a, but from a, just a, a television perspective – like that was the sport everybody watched on TV. Chris Berman, Harold Reynolds. I, I mean, know? exactly. Al Morgan. All the way through, basically all the way Joe through Morgan, Bonds. Yeah, yeah. I think that was kind of when it started tanking and NFL became like the king of Do you think it was steroids? Because here's the funny stuff. thing. Steroids revived baseball. I think it did. Oh, that was, I, I've told you this before. That was what absolutely is the best era of baseball arguably yeah. ever from a viewership oh, perspective. Yeah. There was no more fun time to watch Who baseball. In, they would cut from the news yeah, to go to like, the home run chase. Cut out of programming to go watch Barry Bonds at bat. They do it th- three or four times yeah, a game. Yeah, like it was unbelievable, man. And, and you know that we both. I know that you look at stats. I'm a stat geek uh, on baseball, especially. We talked about Tony Gwynn, and we talked about some of those guys with just. Pete Rose could come back and go 750 for 750, and Tony Gwynn would still have a higher base, like a higher hitting yes. batting average for his career. Yes. And uh, yes. that kind of stuff. The Greg Maddox stats are ridiculous. You know, but Barry Bond stats are just as fucking They're incredible, the- if not more in some yeah. cases. Like, and this is, this is back in his Pittsburgh Pirate days, you know, him and Bobby Bonilla, Sid, uh, what was his name? Sid Bream. I think we're coming up on Bobby Bonilla Day. Or I think it already happened. Re- I think that was, it already, it's happened. Did it happen a couple it weeks happened ago? Towards this time of year, but yeah, he um, one of the one of the first guys to do it. But there's been a few since um, restructured his current contract to have deferred payment for the rest of his life, basically, or 30 years of his life, um, starting a few years after he retired. It's one million dollars a year from the Mets every year for it's 30 or 35 like, years or something. 35 yeah. years. Next year, the Reds are playing paying Ken Griffey Jr. three and a half million dollars. He's in the top half of the roster of who's getting yeah. paid on the current active Reds. Ken Griffey Jr. is getting paid three and a half million next year. I don't understand. I guess I don't understand money enough to understand why a team. I understand Bonilla's situation. Like 
they didn't have the money right now. So yeah, just get it when or pay me when you get it. Yeah. Griffey was oft injured when he played for the Reds. You know, it was hamstring tear after hamstring tear. Uh, and I think a lot of that is like that to me tells me that he was running some pretty exotic anabolics um, and not yeah. hydrating to compensate for the anabolics. Um, that's one of the things that a lot of people skip out on when they, you know, most of your, I, I'm talking about like from a powerlifting standpoint, inside the gym, you have very dedicated people outside the gym. It's like the easiest sport in the world. You just eat what you want and sit around all day. Um, but for somebody who's like an active athlete, I've always thought that was some degree of why you didn't see a lot of uh, steroid abuse in football. I think you probably saw some testosterone and DECA and stuff, but you didn't see some of the exotics because that is just such a physical game. You cannot you cannot ri- risk the ligament and tendon damage because what a lot of people don't realize about anabolics, muscle tissue grows 5X of what ligament and tendon strength does. So imagine you're putting something in your body that strengthens your muscle, but doesn't strengthen your ligament or tendon at the same rate. Well, your muscle can get strong as shit, but those tendons still hold it in place and allow it to move. So when you start compounding your strength levels through muscle movement, you're just stressing the ligament and tendon um, if you don't pay attention to those. So I think that was one of his problems, but it's just like, is that really even a business model to like the Reds fucking suck? And I've been a Reds fan my whole life. Um, yeah. Like if you want to look at how to mismanage a baseball team, as well as a football team, be a Cincinnati fan. Like, right. Marge shot traded away. Norm Charlton said he was done. He goes and wins Cy Young's in Seattle. They trade away Eric Davis. They trade away all these players that go on to four or five more years of success, um, after their world series win. And it's just like, it, it's just like the movie Major League. She wanted them to be good enough that she could sell the players and tank the team. Like Cincinnati, I don't know. They didn't re-sign Votto. You know, like it's like that's that's the guy you want. They didn't. He's their they guy. Didn't, he didn't He's re-sign Sean Casey a few years ago. Sent him to Detroit. Yeah. He was the mayor. You know, that's what you call Sean Casey, the mayor of Cincinnati. So, yep. It's hard being a sports fan in, in that regard when it, when your team just fucking sucks. Like they just they make bonehead management moves. I have some. I know we've done this show before, but I have a few new, amazing, holy, hilarious Barry Bond stats Give for em. you if you would like some. Uh, from nineteen ninety three to two thousand seven, that was pre drugs. Barry Bond. Well, a lot of that. That was all the way. But through. a lot of it that was, was most of it all the way through. Yeah, th- th- that was all of his pirate seasons in there, or most of his pirate seasons. Yep. Barry Bonds had more intentional walks than the Twins, the Rangers, the White Sox, the Orioles, the A's, the Blue Jays, the Royals, and the Tigers. Yeah. As a team, yeah. all of those teams, he had more than all of them. <laughs> um, this one was really cool because everybody thinks all he did was hit home runs. Uh, he is the only member of the 500 home run and 500 steals club. He is also the only member of the 400 home run and 400 steals club, which is wild. Well, you know, you think of guys that were, you know, Lou Brock, he was the guy that sold 921 bases and then, or 920. And then Ricky Henderson broke it with 921 and ended up stealing just short of a thousand bases, I think in his career. But yeah, you know, Baseball has changed. 
so much now. Like, I don't know if it's smarter or or what, but you don't. That's what they'd lead you. You don't believe. see a lot of the situational stuff like you used to see. You don't see a lot of pinch plays anymore. You don't see. I mean, you see them. It's money ball. It, man. it, it it's is. Money ball. And I mean, again, we're sitting here talking about management, kind of like how they structure things and how they do things. That movie Moneyball was really like honestly, it was an eye opener when you look at it because it did change baseball. Like just because you mm-hmm. had a big name, they were signing you. But they started looking at some of these big names from a statistical point, and it's like, oh, he's a detriment to every dollar. Yeah. You know? Or like Frank Thomas, he was another guy, strikeout king. But, you know, when he hit the ball, he hit it a mile. A mile. So, yeah. but from 2001 to 2004, Barry played in 573 games and he reached base in 539 of them. That's 94%. His walk stats are crazier than his home yeah. run stats, honestly. <laughs> if you if you look break it down like that, he had another. Um, there was another. Really How long did funny, he play? 15 years. He, I think, retired in 2007. So I think 93 to 07, I think was his career. Let's see. Barry Bonds, MLB career. Look that up for me, Jamie. Thanks. (laughs) Here's one. Craig Biggio drove in 1,175 runs in his 20-year career. Barry Bonds' home runs alone drove in 1,174. (laughs) So good. Oh, it's the gaps between his uh, his his intentional walks. He batted three seventy in two thousand two, and he won a second batting yeah, title with a three sixty two in two thousand four. He has six hundred and eighty eight intentional walks <laughs> as number one. Number two, six hundred eighty eight was Barry's. Number two is Pujols. Yeah, six hundred eighty eight was Barry's. Albert Pujols with number two, two hundred and ninety two. Yeah. That is hilariously wide margin. So when you look at it this way, he hit a home run less than one in 10 at bats when you really weigh it out. He played 22 seasons. Played from 90 – let me see here. He played from 86 to 2007. Oh, he did play a lot more in the 80s. Yeah. He played – So 86 to 92 with the Pirates, 93 to 07 with the, the Giants. <clears throat> he was with the Giants a lot longer than I thought. I didn't think he was most of the nineties with them. I, I didn't either. I thought he got later. there around ninety six or seven. I thought he played about that's kind of what years. I thought. Um, but I will. So ninety three to seven, that was just his just Giants, his Giants, Giants with all those other ones that. Yeah. So I was but here's the thing: you you think about this guy from, but he was still considered one of the best players in the league when he was with the Pirates. Yeah. Like it wasn't like that just showed up when he started using. Well, the let's talk about it this way: when he was drafted. He was six foot two, two hundred and eighteen pounds. Yeah, he finished his career at six two, two hundred forty pounds. Yeah, one pound a season of aggregate muscle of aggregate weight. One pound a season. Yeah. So that's what I used to tell powerlifters all the time. You know, when I was uh, when I was in high school, I was like one hundred seventy five pounds. When I was at my biggest, I was uh, three hundred forty pounds. But my best lifting days were about three twenty five. So one hundred fifty pound gain over the course of 10 years, you know, you're talking about roughly a pound or so a month, you know, like it is a slow, arduous gain month to month, you know, and that's year to year. He gained a pound a year 
Look at you yeah. fucking fat Americans out there that gain 10 pounds a year for five years sitting on your ass. Like a grown man that's drafted when he's what, 18, you yeah. would expect him to put on 10% body weight through the course of his twenties and thirties. That's all he did. He put on 22 pounds on a 218 pound frame. He gained 10% as an adult. Yeah. I mean, he's a professional ball player. He has access to every single strength coach in the world. And he also had access to the best food and supplementation in the world. And you throw in the mix that he took some steroids and you want to bash the guy. Like, let's get real. And I'm not sitting here on the defense of Barry Bonds. I'm getting here on the defense of people that are paid and asked to perform at the highest level and then told they can't use the same TRT or whatever that I'm able to use. You know, it's just ridiculous. Who do you think? So outside of Barry, who has the, the craziest, like most fun, like you can't even believe them stats because I have one other who I think is in the running for the top. There's a few that I might put in there just with like dominance and all that kind of stuff. But who, who would you say would be the next Ted Williams? Like has just the most Ted Williams is good. Tigers. What I was going to say. Tigers stats are tiger stats are up there. Phelps is yeah. Now if we're talking generalized sports, like I thought we were talking baseball. Yeah. Oh no. Just all, all it would have to be for me. I'm going to throw out Lance Armstrong. (laughs) His individual stage performances um, at the Tour de France were unbelievable. Like his dominance was dominance. Um, And that's the thing, too. You look at all these guys, like Jan Ulrich just admitted uh, that he had doped for years. And the thing that he said is he was like, I missed the best years of my life keeping a secret. Cause he was like, now that I've Mm. said it, I'm free. And that's all. It's like all he had to say was, yes, I did. And then it was over because it's not even news anymore when an athlete dopes, you know, especially if they're a retired athlete like nobody cares but yeah man i think um i think phelps has to be up there i think tiger's run before his kind of sexual stuff and you know his car wrecks and whatever um he was about as automatic as it gets in a very very difficult sport to be he literally decided to change his swing because he was winning too much and he wanted to yeah well uh one other i can tell you roger federer Federer's Nadal for, for yeah the tennis guys have some good ones even Djokovic well but like has some Nadal good. on clay is unbelievable yeah. like he was lights out pretty on clay um I think you'd have to look at Messi for some of his stuff like his goals per game mm-hmm. Ronaldo Cristiano Ronaldo not Ronaldo from Brazil some of the soccer guys yep. yeah but those guys are just insane um obviously there's somebody in basketball, like everybody goes to Jordan or whatever, but somebody like Pistol Pete, Pete Maravich, some of his stats are insane. He, yeah. he averaged like 47 points a game at LSU in basketball without a three-point line. <laughs> also while averaging like 14 assists a game. You know, like it was one of those deals. <laughs> Tiger is the only player currently under the age, and actually he think he's 49 still, so I think he turns 50 this year. Tiger is the only player under the age of 50 with 25 or more PGA tour wins, 25 or more. He's the only player under 50. He won his 25th 20 years ago yeah. in 2001. Yeah. That was the, that was There's the red shirt fist pump. You know, that's like iconic. That, yep. Um, the other one that was, I think my, I think my favorite tiger stat. So from 97 to 2009, 
minimum of 70 mm-hmm. rounds. His best score to par in majors. He was un- he was 134 under par in majors for 12 years total, right? The next person on the list is Phil and Phil is plus 99. So he's 250 strokes better than second place in a 12 year sp- in a 12 year plan pan in majors. Just ridiculous. I think my favorite Tom has some good ones too though. Yeah. Tom has some good ones, but one of them is actually like more of his just cuz he's a compiler cuz he played for so long. Yeah. You know. But I think my one of my favorite Tom ones actually is it's only half a Tom one. It's kind of a Calvin Johnson one. I think I'm, I can't remember if I've told you this one before, but Calvin Johnson played four years of mm-hmm. high school, four years of college at Georgia Tech, played seven years with the Lions, and then had five year wait before he got draft or before he got inducted into the Hall of Fame. All of that happened while Tom Brady was playing for the Patriots or playing in the NFL, not for the Patriots. All that happened during Tom Brady's NFL career. High school through the Hall of Fame induction of Calvin Johnson was all during Tom Brady's yeah. NFL career. Shit like that's insane. <laughs> well, here's just all nuts. right. I'm gonna we're at an hour right now, so I'm gonna run this down. Here's 20 quick stats that are just absurd from from I'm sports, ready. and then we'll, we'll any sport, any sport. Mark McGuire's statistical climb. Mark McGuire's record-setting 70 home run season in 1998 traveled a total of 29,598 feet, more than enough to fly over Mount Everest. Hammer and Hank. Hank Aaron, if you take away his 755 yep. home runs, he would still have been on the 3,000 hit club. Desmond Howard is the first and only player to win the Super Bowl MVP from solely special teams. Gretzky's got a, Gretzky's got one of my favorite stats ever. If he's not on this list, right. I got one each for baseball, you. Each Keep baseball going. game has 12,386,344 possible plays and somewhere around 10 times as many sunflower seed shells. <laughs> 18-year-old Tommy Ross scored the quickest uh, soccer hat trick ever in 90 seconds. Um, Good Lord. Frank Robinson was the only player to be named MVP in both leagues. Brett Favre's first compete- cool. completion as a Packer was to himself. To himself. There's somebody else that has that, too. Somebody else did that oh, recently. Yeah? Like in the last couple of years, I remember that one. Uh, five goals have been scored in an NHL, NHL game 60 times by 44 individuals. Um, baseball history. Nah, that's not a good one. NHL overtime was eliminated during World War II because there were restrictions on train travel, so they couldn't risk going long and long enough or long and missing the one and only train that that night. And it was reinstated in eighty three, eighty four. America's slowest pastime, the actual game time of MLB game, is nine minutes and fifty five seconds defi- of actual game time, despite taking three hours to complete. There have been 14 four interception games in NFL history. Uh, Brian Rudge and Drew Coble are the only two umpires to be behind the plate for two no hitters. Oh, that's cool. Ten goalies have scored a goal in National Hockey League. Uh, Ron Hextall scored one for the Philadelphia Flyers in 88. I was watching that game, I remember it. (laughs) A total of 63 errors were made in the 1886 World Series. The St. Louis Browns beat the Chicago White Stockings 4 2, an old school classic. (laughs) Um, four strikeouts in an inning has occurred 60 times 60 is clearly the new lucky seven (laughs) jfk's golf club sold for seven hundred seventy-two thousand five hundred dollars at a 1996 auction purchased by arnold schwarzenegger 
I thought Peterman bought him in the Seinfeld episode. <laughs> uh, it takes three. Here's one for all you anti-hunting activists that I hope you aren't wearing an oh, NFL. I'm sure there's a lot of those. If you aren't wearing an this. NFL logo of any sort, shame on you if you are. It takes 3,000 cows to supply the NFL with enough leather for a year's supply of in-game footballs. How about that? Leave hunting alone. Ready for my Gretzky Go one? The NFL. Go for it. If you take away all of Gretzky's goals, every single one of Gretzky's goals, he's still the NHL leader in points. Yeah, I did hear that uh, a, a while back. <laughs> That's insane, though, because pe- people that think nuts? of him as, as just a scorer, but he was an amazing pass. Like, he was an amazing teammate. You know, he, he made his... T- he was the best ever. Uh, from a complete stop, a human is capable of outrunning a Formula One car for 30 feet. How about that? And near perfection. The, the perfect nine, the perfect inning, nine pitches, nine strikes, three outs, has only been achieved 46 times. The most expected selection on the list is Nolan Ryan, and the most surprising selection is Byung Young Kim. You remember him? I remember that you remember one. remember the deal when you had Chan Ho Park, Hideo Nomo, and Byung Young Kim it was like, I used to try to do that. Oh, if that you did, were you even playing Little League? Were you even playing Little League <laughs> if you didn't try that? 96 Dodgers when they introduced the, uh, sushi night every time that Nomo yeah. pitched. That was like the biggest night yep. at Dodger Stadium. Actually, yep. the Dodgers and that scenario with Nomo were the ones who expanded the food items at ballparks. Like no other team. It was, it was Cracker Jacks and Peanuts and Hot Dogs and that right. shit. The Nomo Sushi Night is what caused the expansion of food inside of stadium. That's yeah. awesome. Because <laughs> it was such a hit, you know? Yeah, that's great. Go ahead. What's uh, You got anything for me? Give me one stat and we'll wrap up. I feel like I had another. Oh, I do have one more Tom right. Brady one. And it's, a, and it's a hilarious one. It's, actually, it's, a, it's a tandem Jerry Rice and Tom Brady one. They had you. zero pass completions to one another. Well, they so Jerry Rice has the record, Mm -hmm. obviously, for receiving yards over the age of 40. Okay, he has like just over 2,000 yards receiving over the that's Raiders, Jerry. That's Raiders, Jerry, and Seahawks, (laughs) Jerry. Jerry. For the year, he was that was the only time I ever saw him play was the year he went to Seahawks Seahawks. geriatrics, and it was and he had like 1,100 yards that year. It was awesome. Um, he has like just over two thousand yards receiving yards in his forties. Number two on that list with six yards is Tom Brady. Second most <laughs> receiving yards over the age of forty. Hell yeah! <laughs> well, I love it, man. I you know I don't care if people like this stuff or not. I mean, I hate to say that on a podcast where you want people to listen, but like that that stuff is awesome. <laughs> Screw you all. That stuff is awesome to me. Like uh, <laughs> the statistical breakdown really does like give you proof of the pudding of where people stack up. You know, like. Yep. But I guess before we go to kind of kick into next episode, uh, I got two book Cause we did not talk about anything that no, we were planning we talked, on talking about today. We, we talked for 25 <laughs> minutes about what we were going to talk about prior to the episode and talked <laughs> did, about zero. One second of but it. <laughs> I've gotten a few people asking me for some books. Um, and these are not like life-changing self-improvement books, but these are two books I've really enjoyed. And obviously I hunt, so it might make some sense as to yep. why this is a 19, 19- yep. 24 edition um it's called outdoors pastimes of an american hunter this is a teddy roosevelt uh, book written by him it's his stories they're just really cool i mean here's the white tail deer the mule deer uh hunting in cattle country 
Wolf Corsing, Teddy Roosevelt, the founder and pioneer of the only, only to this day, functional, profitable arm of the government, fish and wildlife. Yep. And then yep. this one, uh, the great American hunting stories. And this is by, um, let's see, Lamar Underwood. And it's just individual stories retold by his wording, but somebody that's just looking to read something like both of these scenarios are, are kind of relative to me. A lot of my reading yep. is done with audiobook. A lot of it is done on my phone. And I've been having more yep. and more difficulty turning pages, like just being able to sit down and turn pages and enjoy it. But these two are basically 15, 18 page stories. I think it helps get somebody back into reading, you know, because yep. you just sit down for 10 minutes or go to the bathroom and read it or whatever. But I think it's important to me that I share that I value reading and I think people should be reading books, turn the page, smell mm -hmm. the paper. Like there's something lost when it's not tangible, I think. So those are two that I recommend. And I have one that I showed off too. Yep. We read really just, if you really just want to hurt your brain, that's one of the hardest books um, I've I ever started. read. Silmarillion, yep. Tolkien. Challenging from a standpoint of characterization because there's so many. And then just the yep. format of it, but it's also the same way. It's kind of short stories as well, you know? So it's awesome. That'll do it. Well, maybe, well, so our original plan was to do the peace, love, meat gear breakdown slash gift yeah. guide essentially. So we'll do that one next yeah. week because we want to make sure it gets out before. Holiday yeah. Stuff. And, and so that's the thing is like next all the stuff that, that we're going to talk about on this episode there. Are, and we talked about this too. And I, I guess this is important because one, nobody will hear it at this point, but, um, I think it's important that you guys clearly understand. We talked about a particular brand before we started that we both own gear from that I do not support. And it's not because the gear isn't good. It's not because the gear didn't work as said the situation that I'd look for from companies. If they want to work with me and then they ghost me, I have no respect for that because what I perceive that as we see this guy has a following. We want to get his, our product in his hands to his audience fuck that guy. That's what I see. And I've been in, I've, I've just too, too experienced from powerlifting to kind of fall into the same traps again. So anything that we do yeah. talk about or anything that we say, um, is not paid. It's not encouraged. It's not asked for it's things that we've actually used, tested and value. Um, and I think more than, than just like a deep dive, let's, let's maybe come back with five to maybe 10 items each. And, yeah. and that way it's like we can put the links in the bio of the episode and it'll be just yep. quick click. Some of that we might be able to offer you a discount code on. And actually, if we're going to yep. talk about some of these companies, we might I might reach out to some of them and just say, hey, we're going to be doing an episode about this product. Can we get 10% yep. off of this particular product and nothing else? Yep. Um, but yep. whatever it is, I can't promise that, but I will try. So Sounds good. Catch you all next week. Appreciate you all.